Good morning, familia. It's all right. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the pastors here at church. Uh, and it is a blessing for me to get to welcome you to Witten Bible Church, whether you are here in person or you're worshiping with us on, online. It is always what a blessing that we get to worship and do this together. Amen? Amen. So last week, we started a two-part series called Transitions, in which we're looking at some characters in the Old Testament uh, that went through transitions to learn from them and to kind of uh, embrace the very things that they embraced back in those days. Last week, we looked into the life of Abraham and one of his major transitions, and today we're going to look into the life of Moses and Joshua. And the same way as we did last week, we're going to look into a passage that is very popular, and we're going to try to dissect the passage and meditate on it for a while. So I'm going to ask you to please, to, uh, please go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, and we're going to read from there all the way to Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8. If you are still here, can you please say, I'm here. Yes. If that is true, could you please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence from, for him and his word. This is what the word of the Lord says. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, so that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Chapter 31, verse 1. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord you got himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of the land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said. And the Lord will do to them what he did to Sihon and Og. The kings of the Amorites who destroyed along, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you. And you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 7. Then Moses summoned Joshua. And said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with these people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them. You must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. This is the word of the Lord. Allow me to pray. Lord, we pray that as we face this transition, the very words you gave Israel, 
the same words that you repeated to Joshua may be the words that today we believe and embrace and move forward. I pray, Lord, that by the power of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit, you allow us to see, understand, believe, and respond. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, you may take a seat. Today we're going to be talking about the one thing that we need as a church the most. The one thing that we need as a church the most as we step into this new future that the Lord has for us. The one thing that we need the most as we go through this transition. And the one thing we need the most today is the presence of God. Not better programs. Not good looking people, even though we have them all. Not a big budget, not amazing strategies, not a charismatic leader, none of that stuff. All that stuff is good. But what we need the most today as a church as we face this transition is the presence of God. And the way we're going to talk about this subject is by looking at four groups of people, if you will. We're going to look at Moses as the prophet who will show us God's crucial presence. We're then going to look into Joshua, the warrior, which is God's, which he's going to show us God's committed, committed presence. We're going to see the people, the Israelites, as how they rejected God's presence. And finally, as a gospel-centered church, we have to see Jesus, the Savior, the restoring of God's presence. I need you to do me a favor. Look at the person next to you and say this. Are you ready? Why are you guys so quiet? <laughs> Let's go with point number one. The prophet God's crucial presence. Before I jump into the text, um, I, I need to spend some time talking about a theological term that it might be familiar to some of you, but maybe not so familiar to some others. And it's the theological concept of the transcendence and imminence of God. Two very important theological terms. The transcendence and the imminence uh, presence of God, if you will. When the Bible talks about the transcendence, when theologians talk about the transcendence of God, they are usually uh, talking about those things that only God has, that tells us that God is not limited by space or time, that he's above everything and beyond everything, and that he's always in control of everything. That he's transcendent. That there's no one like him. Some people will hear that and assume that because when Christians talk about the transcendence of God, we shouldn't have the right then to say that God is a personal God. Their assumption is that if God is transcendent, then he could never be personal. That he's out there, and we are down here. But the Bible is going to show you that that's not the reality of the God of the Bible. And that's the reason why theologians not only talk about the transcendence of God, but the imminence of God, meaning that even though God is transcendent, and even though he's out there, and even though he's above time and beyond time, he is also at the same time 
very present with his people. That we have a God that does not know how to love from afar. That we have a God that even though he's powerful and in control of everything, is here, present at all times with his people. Some theologians will call this the relational presence of God. Did you know that only Christianity offers a God like that? Only Christianity talks about a God that is both transcendent and present and personal. So listen to what John Frame, the theologian John Frame, says about this. Divine transcendence and immanence are the related Christian doctrines that while God is exalted in his royal dignity and exercises both control and authority in his creation, transcendence, he is by virtue of his control and authority very present to his creation, especially his people, in a personal and intimate way. Now, why you start with this? Because if there's one person, actually there's a group of persons that understand what that is, it's actually Moses and Joshua. If there is a group of people in the Bible that truly understand that God is both transcendent and very present, relationally speaking, it's Moses and Joshua. But everything started with Moses. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Moses, you probably remember the story in Exodus chapter 3 of the burning bush. You guys remember that? This is the first time that God is introducing himself to Moses. And he's about to call them into ministry. And the way God introduces himself is as the I am. Later on he says, the I am who I am. And any scholar would say that when God is using that name, he is describing himself as the God who always was, as the God who always is, and the God that, is for, that forever will be, transcendence. The first introduction that God, does, that, that God gives Moses, the first thing he gives Moses is his transcendence, the description of who he is. But then, right before he sends them into Egypt, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, the Lord says this. Uh, and God said, I will be with you. Notice that he doesn't say, I'm going to be with you from here and you good luck over there. He doesn't say, I have beautiful plans for you from here and let's see how you do it over there. Let's see how I can help you from here and good luck how you do it over there. The Lord says, as I'm sending you into this crazy call, just know that I will be with you. See, when you look at the context of that text, we know that the Lord has, is seeing the affliction of his people. And he sees how his people are suffering. And God chooses Moses to use him to deliver these people from slavery. And the only thing he gives Moses at that time is this beautiful, amazing, powerful, everlasting promise. I will be with you. Nothing else. Now, if you really want to understand and grasp what's happening here, you have to remember 
that the Israelites were there for 400 years. Listen up, church. This is about 2 million people. 2 million people that have been in slavery for about 400 years. That is three, four, or even five generations of slavery. And at that time, Egypt had about another 4,000 people, 4 million people. Meaning that the Lord is telling Moses that he's going to use them to bring freedom to one-third of the population. And God is not guaranteeing at this moment power. He's not talking about miracles just yet. Moses has no idea about the plagues. All he knows is that the Lord is going to use him to deliver these two million people. And the only thing he has to step out in faith is the presence of God. I will be with you. You see, that story is not about Moses. Actually, if you know anything about him, you know that this guy has struggled a lot. He has some sort of a speech impediment. He doubted the Lord a lot of times. He put 20,000 excuses to not fulfill his call. And yet, the Lord tells him, I'll be with you. The relational presence of God. So when you see the whole story, how the Lord used this man and the place and all that stuff, and when they get out, this really shaped and shaped Moses like nothing else. To the point where later on, the Lord is calling him to push forward to the promised land, and this is what the Lord tells him. As you move forward, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. But look at how Mo uh, Moses responds. If your presence does not, does not go with us, do not send us up from here. You know how crazy that is? These guys are in the desert. And Moses says to Abraham, don't give me the land, don't give me the milk, don't give me the honey, don't give me the fruit, don't give me everything that is beautiful if you're not going with me. Don't give me anything if you're not going with me. That's how crucial the presence of God was to Moses. Now, the reason why I do all that big introduction, we're going to be here for two hours, <laughs> is because in order for you to understand chapter 31, verse 1, you have to take all of that into consideration. Look at what it says. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. And he says, I am now at 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. And the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. You know what that means? After 40 years of putting up with this stubborn, complainer, whining people, the Lord says, Sorry, bro. You're not going to make it. And all this because in one occasion, Moses dishonored the Lord. So when you go back and read Deuteronomy chapter 3, there's one time in which Moses addresses the Lord 
and says, God, have mercy on me. Allow me to go into the promised land. And you know what the Lord said? I don't want to talk about it. Question. How many of you guys feel that that's kind of unfair? Raise your hand. Like five of you guys. Let's do it again, okay? This is church, okay? God is seen. How many of you guys feel that that's kind of unfair? Raise your hand. 40 years. 40 years, God, Moses dealing with these stubborn people. Actually, let me give you an example. Perfect example. God delivered them from Egypt. They go into the desert. In a powerful way, God delivers. They get to the Red Sea. And in a powerful way, the Lord parts the Red Sea and they go through it. Three days into the journey, church. Three days into the journey. These people start whining and complaining because things are complicated and they don't have a snack. <laughs> they forgot the lunchable. And now they said, we'd rather go back over there. Listen, I don't know about you. I don't know how spiritual you are. But let me explain to you what my first reaction would be. You want to go back over there? Go ahead. More food for us. You don't know how to get to Egypt? Let me help you. Here's a napkin. This is the map. Follow three miles the desert. When you find a hill of sand, go to the left. When you get over there, you're going to find the Red Sea. You don't know how to cross water? I have a guy that knows how to swim across a river. I'm, saying, I'm sorry, a sea. He will help you. Three days. This is what is crazy about Moses, though. That the text tells you that when the Lord tells him that he is not going to cross the Jordan, he did not complain. When you keep on reading the story, you see that he didn't say anything. You know how crazy it is after 40 years? After 40 years that you get to the edge of the promised land, and then you see, you see the beauty of what the Lord has promised. And, and you finally see a place of freedom. A place in which people will be secure and they will lack nothing. And the Lord says, you won't make it. And he says nothing. And he sings a song. And he dies quietly. What? Did, did he go crazy over those 40 years in the desert? What happened to him? Well, this is what you got to read the entire Bible. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, when he talks about Moses, he says that the only reason why he endured all of that is because he saw God who is invisible. And the word to see in the original is to experience. 
experienced God like nothing else. Here we have a man that is 120 years old that has put up with all these people for all these years. A man that knew how to suffer well. He makes it to the promised land, and the reason why he does not complain is because he has experienced the presence of God like nothing else. To the point that he looks at the land and says, it's okay if I don't make it there. Listen up. It is, it is better for me to go to him than the promised land. You know what I'm praying for for the church? That we are so intoxicated with the presence of God that everything else looks cheap. That everything else is secondary. That's how I want to live my life. That's how I want you to live your life. In the midst of this transition and every transition we will face, what matters the most is the presence of God. And if he's there, you will be okay. And I will be okay. Amen? Amen? That was Moses. But there's more. Let's talk about Joshua. We call him the warrior, and he's going to teach us where, what, what does it look like that God is committed to us and his presence is committed to us. So Moses, right before he dies, he calls Joshua because the Lord called him to repl- for Joshua to replace Moses. And this is what verse 7 says. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you must go with these people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them. Notice that he says, you're going to be the new leader. You're going to go. You're going to lead these people. And don't worry, because he's going to take you to the very land that the Lord had promised before. But look at what happened in verse 8. Then the Lord himself goes, he says, the Lord himself goes before you, he tells to Joshua. And he will be with you. The same words that he had received before at the beginning of his journey. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. This is a beautiful promise. He says, I'm going to take you there. And you have to be strong and courageous. But notice that the text says that the strength and the courage that Joshua is going to experience is not coming from within. You can do it. That's not what the text says. Actually, what the text says is that his strength and courage will come from knowing that God will never leave you or forsake you and from knowing that God was going to be with him the same way he was with Moses. Therefore, he says, no reason to be afraid. This is what is interesting about that text, though. That there's a reason why the Lord tells that to Joshua. The reason why that verse is there is because God knows that Joshua will go into the promised land and there will be times in which he will feel that he's forsaken. If not, the verse wouldn't be there. He knows that Joshua is going to step into the promised land and he will feel like if he was forsaken. That's why the text is there. There will be times so complicated 
that Joshua will feel fear. And that's what the text is there. But this is what the Lord is telling him. Don't allow what you feel control your behavior. What is to control your behavior is what you believe. What makes the difference is not what we feel. What makes the difference is what we believe, convictions. See, I think that the Lord does to you and to me the same thing that he does, he did with Joshua. If he calls you to something, he sends you somewhere. He never sends you empty-handed with a good motivational speech that says, you can do it. He sends you into, into something with the reality, the objective reality that he goes with you. And even though sometimes we feel forsaken and we feel abandoned and we feel fear, we live by convictions, not just by emotions. And as we move into the future, we must be people that live by convictions and not emotions. Now, this is crazy, though. Because up until this point, everything is going super smooth. Like, like if, I'm, I'm, if I'm Joshua, I'll say, I'll go. I will not be forsaken. I will not be abandoned. I will never be alone. But that's not what the Lord says to Joshua. Look at what happened in verse 16. And the Lord said to Moses, you are going to rest with your ancestors, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land that they're entering. Notice what he says. Once the people go into the land, they're going to start trusting other gods, other things instead of God. And God responds in verse 17 by saying, I will hide my face from them, my presence from them, and they will be destroyed. And in response, people will realize that God was not with them. I don't care how spiritual you are. If the Lord calls you to ministry and he tells you that the very people you're going to lead that the very people that you're going to pastor, that the very people that you're going to take care of, that the very people that, that the Lord called you to take care of, those people not only won't care about you, but they won't care about God. And then he says, come on. <laughs> How many of us actually would step into that? Raise your hand. How many of us, <laughs> illustration here, how many of us, let's say that you're not married, but you're about to get married, and you get a dream from the Lord, and in that dream, the Lord says, your spouse is crazy, <laughs> but marry her anyway, or marry him anyway, how many of us actually would do that? Unless you're more crazy. And the Lord said, and Joshua said, I'll do it. Ain't that crazy? 
I'll go. I'll do it. Why would, Mo, why would Joshua do that? I, I mean, listen, if that's me, I have enough with my sins. I don't need anybody else's sins. I have my own struggles. Why would I embrace something that is going to bring more pain? And Joshua says, I'll do it. You know why? Because he had the same thing that Moses had before he passed away. The committed, relational presence of God. See, the presence of God not only gives you a sense of peace in the midst of trouble, but the presence of God gives you courage and strength when you know that things will be complicated. Did you know, I don't know if I shared this with you before, but that passage was the one that the Lord used to call me into ministry. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be the crazy people. <laughs> well, you guys got to let me finish. Um, but it means that when you step into something that is unknown, there's a high probability that people will do crazy stuff. And the only thing that is keeping me grounded as I step into the future is to know that I'm not going alone. We are not going alone. And that when the Lord sends us to something, he's going with us. This morning when I was heading in the sermon, because that's what I do on Sunday mornings, um... I remember this story that I've shared with the church before, I'm sure. But I think that makes this point even more clear. And it's the story about these two men that are living in a part of the world in which Christianity is illegal. And they're about to get executed. And they, they're about to go and be burned at stake because of their faith. And man number one is about to go first. And man number two says to him, I need you to do me a favor. Because I want to face this with courage. I need you to do me a favor. Tell me if when you're there being burnt alive, I want you to know that if, that if you feel the presence of God in the midst of that pain, raise your hand. And he says, okay, I'll do it. And he steps into this. And as he's experiencing this crazy pain, he raises his hand, but then he goes like this. How do you think that that second man is going to step into that? With full conviction that the Lord is with him. And as we step into the future, we have nothing less than that. Are things going to get complicated? Most likely. Would there be pain? Most likely. But this we know. That we're not going alone. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that? So we talked about Moses, and we say, man, I wish I could be like Moses. And we talk about Joshua, and we say, man, I wish I could be like Joshua. Unfortunately, sometimes we're more like the Israelites, the people that forget and reject God's presence. So let me do this quick. The Lord, in chapter 30, verse 19, he calls the Israelites to choose life, to love him, to listen to his voice, to hold on to him. This is prior to going into the promised land. The phrase to hold him, to hold fast to him, means to remain faithful to God. And then to help them motivate and step into the future, he reminds them of something that he already did. In chapter 31, verse 4, he reminds them of these two uh, encounters, one on Sihon and the other one on Og, in which the Lord himself delivered his people. He protected them then, he defeated the enemy, he, he, uh, he delivered them from the enemy. And then the Lord says to them the same thing that he said to Joshua. Chapter 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes before you or with you, he will never leave you nor forsake you. But I already showed you. That even though these people heard this, and even though they had the evidences of God's power and faithfulness, and even though they were called to love the Lord and listen to his voice and hold on to him, once they step into the promised land, they start worshiping idols. The question is why? And I really want you to pay attention here. Nothing promised that we want to struggle in the future. Nothing promised. This is the crazy thing, though, that in the midst of a struggle, the tendency of the human heart, the tendency of the human heart of the believer is to stop trusting the presence of God and cling to things that we think is going to save us. And what I'm praying for us is that as we move into the future, we don't trust budget, we don't trust programs, we don't trust ministries, we don't trust strategies, we don't trust ideas, we don't trust gifted leaders, we don't trust plans, but that the only thing we trust is that God is going with us. That will be the only way that we fight against the own, our own idolatry in our heart. That's how I want to live, and that's how I want you to live. So the question is this. Can we actually move into the future like this? And the answer is yes. Of course we can. Why? Because we got something better than what Moses had. And we have something better than that Joshua had. And we have something better than what the Israelites had. See, they had the spiritual presence of God. But God gave us not just the spiritual presence of God, but the very presence of God in human form. Jesus and him crucified. And if you remember one of the names of Jesus, 
is Emmanuel, God with us. You remember what the Lord did when the Israelites uh, walked away from the, from the Lord? The text says that he hid his, his face from them and that his presence was not with them. Did you know that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that will never happen to you? Hear me out, church. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that will never happen to you. Do you know why? Because when Jesus went to the cross to pay for the, uh, for, uh, to pay for the, uh, for the consequences of your sin, Jesus at the cross experienced what it means to have the Father turn his face to him or turn away from him. You remember Jesus at the cross in which he says, why have you forsaken me? Do you know why Jesus says, why have you forsaken me when he's at the cross? So people like you and me, tiny people, complainy people, whiny people, stubborn people, as we step out in faith, we should have the assurance that God will never forsake us. That's how we move into the future. Because we have Emmanuel, God with us, to protect us from God walking away from us. In every other religion in the world, you have to earn God's approval. In every other religion in the world, you have to do something so you don't lose God. Only Christianity offers the presence of God without restrictions. But not because of you, but because of Jesus. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Lord, as we move into the future, there's always a certain level of uncertainty. And there are questions, Lord, and doubts sometimes, and sometimes fear. And sometimes we may feel that we are being forsaken or abandoned, Lord. And today, Lord, we are being reminded that it doesn't really matter what we feel. What matters at the end is who we have in Jesus Christ. God with us. And that does not change. And that cannot be taken away from us. And that is what it gives us the strength and the courage to move forward. Lord, I pray that you give us the faith that you gave Moses. And that we understand that your presence is crucial. I pray, Lord, that you give us the faith to understand what Joshua understood. That your presence is always committed to us. But I pray, Lord, that as we move into the future, we help us see, believe, and embrace what we already have in Jesus Christ. The uninterrupted, ever-present presence of God. Please help us believe that and embrace that. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the churches. Usually when I send you guys out, 
I prayed over you this blessing that is found in Numbers chapter 6. And today I want you to see something that I never had the chance to explain before. This is what the blessing says. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift his face toward you and give you peace. Did you guys know that the word face is the relational presence of God? So as you live through these doors, you are not living alone. God is living with you. Amen. Have a blessed day. Thanks for coming. We love you. See you guys next week.